1: Infantile, nothing personal, word of the day. It is Monday, November 21st, 2022, and we are knee deep in the World Cup. I don't know about knee deep. There's been one game, but we watched it. We said we weren't going to watch it. We watched it. We've got a full slate of games today, starting right now with England and Iran. And the World Cup has been surrounded by political issues since it was announced over a decade ago. And nothing has really gotten better. It's just a matter of how it's being discussed, who's discussing it and what they're discussing. And the prayer of FIFA was that once the kickoff happens, like the first kickoff, then that would be it. Everything would magically disappear. I'm not sure it's gonna actually work that way. So the president of FIFA, in an effort to wish that into existence, met the media before the first match, which Qatar, the home team, the host nation lost to Ecuador, by the way. And he met the media and what he said struck me, and I think will strike you as very bizarre, and so defensive and so irrational that you would mistaken him for an American politician. When you're the president of FIFA, no doubt you're a politician, much like when you're the commissioner of a sport here in, in the US, you are a politician. And once in a while, politicians have to make political speeches. Roger Goodell had to deal with the Colin Kaepernick kneeling issue. Rob Manfred had to pull an All-Star game out of Atlanta. They all had to navigate through COVID, navigate through shutdowns, figure things out on the fly. That's what you get paid for. The president of FIFA gets paid for deciding where the World Cup's going to be, among other things, but I digress. So he meets the media And he's been living in Qatar for about a year, it's reported. I guess he wanted to make sure that enough workers were being treated well and that all the stadiums were ready. And he was getting all excited for this month-long hosting mission. And so he meets the media. Now, keep in mind, he's taking over for one of the most infamous, and we talked about it last week, one of the most infamous corrupt people ever. So, you know, perspective, would tell you that this guy Gianni Infantino so far not accused of taking bribes so far totally clean totally everything's great for sure so he stands up and he says listen I don't get what all the fuss is about and that is a great go-to line when you are trying to defend the indefensible you try to downplay it and say you're all making much ado about nothing so the way you do that is something that millennials refer to. I learned about this recently, you know, in the last couple of years, I think. What about ism? What about ism is when you deflect, when someone criticizes you, hey, you know, you smell and you respond with, well, what about you? You smell too. That's what about ism for all intents and purposes. So he was asked at this media availability about all of the issues in Qatar, all the issues with the LGBTQ, all the issues with women's rights. (laughs) First of all, on a side note, little detour here, Coca. When you watched the match yesterday between Qatar and Uruguay and Ecuador, excuse me, there were no women on the Qatar side none what's amazing is that if you are muslim and if you are in qatar they're claiming you can go to a match but it appeared to me the only women there were wearing yellow and sitting on the ecuador side now it's possible that's that the camera work i was not there maybe the camera work only showed all of the men from qatar yelling and screaming for their team which lost quickly two to nothing was down two nothing quickly they actually had a third goal first goal was disallowed on off sides but doesn't matter so all the women's rights issues etc so infantino stands up and says i hear you i appreciate what you're saying but remember reform and change takes time and he pointed out that in Europe you had something called colonialism and other atrocities and quote he said for what we Europeans have been doing in the last 3,000 years around the world we should be apologizing for the next 3,000 years before giving moral lessons to other people and then complimented Qatar on how gracious they are in letting migrants into their country. Saying that immigration issues exist in all sorts of countries like the US with walls and border closings and separation of kids from families and yada, yada, yada. Meanwhile, they let the migrants into Qatar so they can die doing stuff for the Qatari people in power. If you are gonna take a position of whataboutism, and you are going to talk in relative terms, right? A race to the bottom. We've been talking about a lot of races to the bottom recently. I don't understand the race to the bottom issue. Do, do we feel better only in comparison to other people who are worse off? So we therefore say, we're pretty fortunate We've got more than the person to our left, less than the person to our right, so we are perfectly situated in the middle. We can act a certain way. Here is the crude example. The crude example is what I say about bathrooms and I wanna give you that explanation because before it's too late, I want you to think about this. And you may have heard me say this, I don't remember. The bathroom concept is when you come across a bathroom that's in good shape and clean, you keep it clean. If you drop a towel on the floor, a paper towel, you pick it up and throw it away. If you go into a bathroom that already has crap all over the floor, when something drops, you just leave it there. When the garbage can is overflowed, you just throw it on the ground. You take things as they appear and you exaggerate them. So something's clean, you want to make it cleaner. Something's dirty, you're okay making it dirtier because you feel comfortable by doing and existing in the space that is presented to you. So when you come across people who are not that way, they're basically swimming upstream, right? People are viewed, those who protest things, those who protest the the actions of large corporations. When you're walking down the street, and they're trying to get you to sign petitions. Have you ever had that walking down the street? And you say, oh, that doesn't interest me. I'm not putting my name down to anything. Don't wanna get involved. Criticizing people who do get involved until you're the person who gets involved because it's an issue that means enough for you to get involved. It's the story with charity, as you know. You give money to charities that are meaningful to you If you don't know anyone who had brain cancer, you'd likely don't give to brain cancer charities. You know someone who has brain cancer, then all of a sudden, you're involved in brain cancer charities. Totally standard operating procedure. But what happens when you're getting involved in a situation like in Qatar, where you know that you can't win in the court of public opinion? When you meet the media in those instances, the way Infantino did, instead of being infantile the way he was, he would have been better off with an acknowledgement of what is, a hope for what will be, and an understanding of what people feel and think. That level of empathy is not easy. It is very difficult, actually. I wonder what'll happen when the World Cup leaves Qatar. Hmm. I wonder if they'll continue their progress that they're making. The other thing that was infantile by Infantino, there is a issue that FIFA is having. England and many other countries wanted to wear an armband to support LGBTQ rights. And the armband would have been around their jerseys. And FIFA said no. FIFA has been criticized by some because they said, if you do that, we will give your captain a yellow card just for walking on the pitch. And if you don't know, there's a yellow card and a red card. Two yellow cards is one red card. One red card means you're playing down a man, number one. Number two, you can't play the next game. But you're not down a man the next game, but that player can't play. And the captain is generally the best player on the team. I don't criticize FIFA for that decision and here's why. There are players in baseball, we had this issue in a conference room, fully discussed. There were players who were writing messages. Go back and look at tape of games from years past. Players were writing things on their hats, like initials of players or initials of people who had died. And MLB got together and said, we're not allowing that. And they went to the union and said, if players have a hat that has any sort of initialing on it, any sort of writing, we're going to have them change hats. We're going to make them change hats. The punishment was only a $500 fine under the CBA, and we could not find a way to get players to care about that money because it was burning a hole in their per diem pocket. So what we did was, is you go into collective bargaining and you talk about the rules of the game and you have in the rules of the game that uniforms have to be worn as presented by the team, exactly as presented by the team, which is why you have to wear the official uniform supplier, the official t-shirt supplier, the official everything about your hat and jersey is sponsored it's an official deal, whether it's with New Era or Nike. Remember, MLB had a deal with Under Armour that disappeared after a year for the jerseys. It used to be majestic. You can have team rules that talk about how you wear your jersey, how many buttons, whether or not you can have hair on your face. But the actual uniform now is you are in violation of the rules. And the consequences are steeper than the $500 fine, which is why you see now no players do it. So when FIFA said no armbands, I thought it was fine. And the players and the teams have listened to that, even though they threatened not to. And the reason, of course, they're not going to is not because they are not trying to protest or they're not trying to show their home countries how they feel about some of the issues with the Qatari human rights. It's that they care about winning more than LGBTQ rights. How do you feel about that? I feel fine. It is not the job, in my opinion, of the athletes to do anything other than bring attention in any way possible to any issues that are personal to them. But it cannot interfere with what your job is on the pitch or on the court or on the field. Your job is to win. Hard stop. I appreciate if you want to kneel and you have your reasons. I appreciate if you want to wear an armband and you have your reasons. And I am not against any of it. But if it costs your team or you a chance to play or your team a chance to win, then I am out. Hard stop. And FIFA knew exactly what to do. They said, no problem. Yellow card. And that was the end of that. The other thing that Infantile, Infantino has to deal with and has to deal with is the issue that you saw here in the US. How many of you tried to get Taylor Swift tickets? Any of you? Taylor Swift basically crashed the Ticketmaster app. She hasn't toured in five years and she announced a tour. And what these artists are doing and they finally are getting smart, is they're trying to maximize their revenue and they don't understand why they should get $300 in ticket revenue for a ticket, for a ticket that then gets resold on the secondary market for $3,000. That's $2,700 for other people and they want it for themselves and their band and their family. So what they're doing now is they're actually making Ticketmaster a dynamic pricing outfit where the fees on Ticketmaster and the actual price of the tickets it's not there's no face value anymore for tickets. It's all what the market can bear. So the initial on sale for Taylor Swift did not go well Ticketmaster crashed you had to apologize. FIFA is having the same issue with their ticket app their entire app crashed. Every time we we did a uh, segment on CBS Coca uh, for the, either Cy Young or MVP last week, and we were delayed because the system was down. And, you know, it's technology, you can't really control that, I guess, but it just struck me, always I think about the movie, The Social Network, when Andrew Garfield's character, Eduardo, takes money out of the company to pay himself back, doesn't tell his partner, Mark Zuckerberg, and this is just in the movie, who knows if it happened in real life, And it caused the site, which was called the Facebook at that time, to not function. And Mark Zuckerberg went crazy saying, we are Facebook. The whole point of Facebook is we don't crash. We don't go down ever. That is Facebook. And that's sort of my view of a ticketing app or any app these days or any website these days, or if you're a streaming channel, or if you're whatever you are, Your whole job is to make sure you never go down. No matter what, you have to have redundant systems. Imagine if you were satisfied the way streaming networks operate or apps operate. Imagine if planes operated the same way. Hey, computers crashed, we're going down. It's absurd, right? Airplanes have redundant systems. The redundant systems are meant to be in use when the principal system or the secondary system crashes unexpectedly for no apparent reason and it never happens. Except when it does and then you've got the redundant system. Why? There's lives at stake. Maybe the apps don't want the redundant systems because lives aren't at stake. Money is though. When you, are the, when you are the quarterback of a team or when you're the player, when you are a, a leader of a team, when do you think it's most important to show leadership? It's pretty easy. And the expression is that anyone can steer a ship through calm waters. We don't evaluate players on the field in spring training or in April or September because there's so many other factors going on. You use it as one of the arrows in your quiver, but you don't do a full evaluation. You can do it on the margins, like for a 25th or 26th man, if they have a good spring training, you let him make the opening day roster, and then you option him out two weeks later or whatever you do, someone's injured. But the way you really look at leadership and test leadership and understand leadership is in stormy seas. In sports, the equivalent of that is when a team is losing or when a team is dealing with off the field issues or distractions, you are looking for someone on your team to have an approach, to have a public approach and to have, as importantly, a private approach. The private approach is what goes on inside the locker room or clubhouse. The public approach is what that player is saying so that fans understand what's going on inside the clubhouse. Now, the two do not match all the time. There are many times that we've got something going on inside a clubhouse, but we want a different message out in public, so we'll have either a player or a staff member make sure what we're gonna say publicly, and it's gonna be totally different than what we're saying privately. Because of competitive issues, we don't want another team to know something going on, or it's just a bad look. If you lost three hours of your life yesterday watching the Jets and the Patriots play, the outcome is not relevant. The final score was ten to three in a real barn burner of a game. It was three three until the last minute, and the Patriots scored on an eighty four yard punt return for a touchdown, no less, and won the game ten to three. And the Jets, this was the Jets were going for over the Patriots they hadn't beaten the Patriots like in 14 straight times and this year the Jets are taking receipts as Salah their coach said in his second year trying to make this team relevant and good their quarterback is a guy named Zach Wilson Zach Wilson is a second year player who had a historically bad game and that's not that much hyperbole it's slight but not huge I believe he threw for under 80 yards, which in today's NBA is the equivalent of a team scoring in the 70s. Now, in my time of my love of the Knicks in the 80s and 90s, mostly the 90s, you score 70 points, that's a Tuesday. Final score, 78, 72. Hell yeah, that's good defense. Not now. Now the NBA likes games in the 130s and 140s. The NFL changed all sorts of rules in order to add offense. Used to be you run first down, try to run second down, pass third down. Now, you know, some teams would pass on first down. You say, wow, that's the West Coast offense. Look, the quarterback's in the shotgun and he's not doing a handoff. He's going to throw him first down. That used to be strange. Not anymore. If you don't have a passing game in the NFL, you have no chance, period. It's hard enough when you have a great quarterback and no receivers like in Baltimore, but in theory, teams are now being put together from the outside in, where it used to be they're put together from the inside out, meaning wide receivers back in through the center versus center out through the wide receivers. But the key to every football team is their quarterback. So Zach Wilson is the guy, second year. Hard to be a leader when you're young, but not impossible if you're good, but you have to be good, like Magic Johnson type good to be a young rookie leader or some sort of amazing pedigree coming into your, into your team, onto your team. So when you are asked about a game, after a game, you know that we have that blanket, that period of time post-game, before the media comes, where the players are supposed to get out their emotions, they're supposed to flatline, then go meet the media, and you don't do it with emotion. And the reason you don't is then you say something that you're going to regret. Zach Wilson was asked after the game, hey, just curious, anything you want to say to your defense? Do you feel like you let your defense down because their defense only gave up three points? Seven points was given up by special teams, but their defense only gave up three points and their offense could only score three points. And Zach Wilson looked at the camera and said, no. And it turns out his Jets teammates didn't like that very much. Zach Wilson was in the locker room after the game acting very much like he did when he was front-facing the media, walking around like, hey, we're good here because I'm good here. I don't know what's going on with the rest of the offense. I don't know whether my line stinks. I don't know why he didn't get a pick six on defense. That special teams coach should be fired, but I'm good. Teammates don't like that that creates tremendous division. And football is a sport where there's opportunity to vision, to vision for there to be division way more than other sports. Think about it. You have an offense and a defense. In basketball, the same players play both. In baseball, the same players play both. In football, there's no Shohei Otanis. You've got people who play defense and people who play offense. To be a leader, it used to be... I, Coca, when they do the um, coin flips now, is it multiple people who go out... It used to be in the NFL that you'd have a defensive captain, an offensive captain, a special teams captain, and they would all go to midfield for the uh, coin toss. And the reason you have multiple captains is that there are different clicks on the team. Now in baseball, there's clicks also, but those are based on demographics mostly, not positions. It's not like all the infielders hang out and go out after games. It's much more based on where you're from and what language you speak. But in football, it's a bigger locker room and there's a chance for greater divisiveness. And if you, do, if you have a team where both sides are not together and not pulling for each other, you can feel that. And that's an issue that happens in sports and it shouldn't happen, right? Talent should win the day if you're good enough, you're going to win. You don't have to like each other. I've had athletes tell me that liking their teammates matters not. I've had athletes tell me that chemistry matters, but chemistry comes from winning. But what I've noticed with having won and lost, while chemistry is helped by winning, you don't need players to do anything other than their jobs on the field. All of the talk about the clubhouse divisiveness, the defense being on the defense being unhappy with what Zach Wilson said, I find it to be very overblown. If the Jets hadn't given up that punt return for a touchdown, which was just one of those crazy things, and they won the game six three in overtime, and there was another Jets game that was six three in my lifetime, I can't remember when. The comments would have been way different after the game. Hey, we gutted through this. We're there to pick up our, our offense is what the defense would say. The offense would say, I'm thankful that we did just enough to win this game. Way to go defense. That's ordinary. What you do front facing when it's not going your way matters. The Jets have a problem. And it's not that I am interpreting what Zach Wilson said publicly and telling you that that is the problem. It's a skill problem. It's a team problem. And those don't get covered up by anything you do in the media. All right, let's take a break. I got to tell you what I was doing all night last night. We're going to review Elton John's farewell concert when we come back. And then we're going to talk about something that happened with Giannis that was spectacularly not Giannis. We'll be right back.
2: Support your journey to wellness at B I O P T I M I Z E R S dot forward slash balance. Magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
1: Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's a Monday. It's episode 700, Coca. 700 episodes like this with words of the day and wait to seize and pics of the day. We've done a bunch of sit downs and mailbags, of course. But episode 700, remember episode 50, Coca? We were still in the studio in Florida at CBS, and I brought in 50 cupcakes. I remember driving to the cupcake store that Quinn told me about. It was uh, east of US 1, and I brought in 50 cupcakes because I thought to myself, 50 episodes, holy Crikeys that seems like a lot. We're now at 700. Thank you, to everybody. Please go on YouTube, subscribe. i tell you to go on Twitter, but Twitter's going backwards, it appears. But I'm David P. Samson, if you want to go. I'm still having fun on Twitter. So last night, Disney Plus did something, and it had nothing to do with the, big, the biggest news out of Disney yesterday was not Elton John's farewell concert. The biggest news was Bob Iger, who's now taking over for... The outgoing CEO who is handpicked by Iger, by the way. So Joe's gone, Bob's in, Disney's in shambles, which means their stock's down like every stock. But it's really down because they did not hit their forecast. And when you don't hit your forecast, it means you were lying about something. Because believe me, the CEO of a company knows when they're going to hit their forecast way before the public does. That's what insider trading's for. The board of Disney said, see you later. Bob Iger was supposed to retire. Instead, he's got to figure out why Disney Plus loses a billion and a half a year, even with subscribers increasing. That's not sustainable. By the way, when you are a institutional investor, that means that you own blocks of stock of a company. It's very nice that you have all these new subscribers to your streaming platform. But here's the expression that I was taught by a very, very savvy businessman, who is also my grandfather. When people tell you that they lose money on every subscriber, but don't worry, we'll make it up on volume. Think about that expression if you would. We produce eyeglasses and we lose a dollar per pair, but don't worry, we'll make it up on volume. We'll sell a million pairs. Well, man, if you lose a dollar every pair of glasses and you make a million glasses, you're going to lose a million dollars. You can't make it up on volume. If you're losing money at Disney Plus and you've got a bunch of subscribers, but you're losing money with every subscriber, guess what? More subscribers doesn't help. So Bob Iger came in and said, all right, I'll come back for two years. Let me give you an early wait to see on that one, Coca. Book this one. Bob Iger is coming out of retirement. He's not gonna be there for two years. There is no chance he's gonna do that. So Disney did something very cool last night. Ellen John is on a farewell tour, and a real farewell tour. You know all these people who say, hey, it's our final final, but it's not, and then you get upset because you think it's their final final, like the players who say they're retiring and don't, or the bands who say they're not coming back, and then they do because they find out, oh man, I need money what a great way to do money, right? Is to tour. But Elton John assures us that he will never be in America again. So they did an entire show at Dodger Stadium last night that started at 11.15 and went till 1.45 a.m. Eastern time and Disney Plus streamed it. And it was as though I was there It's called the Farewell Yellow Brick Road Tour, famous song of his, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. I've reviewed Rocketman, which is sort of semi-biographical. Phenomenal movie with Taron Egerton. So the thing about the Disney Plus and the concerts and the streaming, it works, but the problem they're having is the cost of doing business. The cost of goods sold is so high, that they can't find a way to properly monetize it. So I spent a lot of time on Disney Plus this weekend. I watched Disenchanted, we'll review that another day this week. I don't wanna give you two reviews. But if you have Disney Plus, go watch his last concert because you will see a few guest stars who come on stage to sing songs with him, unannounced, but then it happened you will see the audience reveling in looking at a 75-year-old man who can perform for two and a half hours. Now, short of Little Blue Pills that are not 75-year-old men who can perform for two and a half hours. But Elton John did. Amazing. All right, Coca. You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get in Twitter or Instagram or somewhere. Ask a question, I'll answer it. Maybe. David, hi. What are the rules in place regarding visiting teams practicing on your team's home field or court? Well, that seems like a random question, doesn't it? Until you know. So I thought that was a random question, but it interested me. And then I figured out what this person's talking about. Now I love the fact that you didn't give me a frame of reference thinking that I would just know. And I do know now. In Milwaukee, you've got a very famous player, MVP, world champion, Giannis Aunt Giannis. When you play on the road, here's the schedule. You get to the city in basketball you stay in a hotel. In the morning of the game day, you go to, there's a bus to the arena where you do a walkthrough. You, you practice your plays, you get the court. It's sort of like BP, if you will, visiting BP. Then the bus takes you back to the hotel. You take a nap, you rest, you eat. Then you go back to the arena and you have pregame warmups. After a game, Sometimes the team flies out to its next destination if they're playing back-to-back games. Sometimes the team spends the night in the city in which it played and leaves the next morning. But under all scenarios, there is time for post-game workouts. At the end of every baseball game, what you don't see on TV is the number of players who go work out after a game. Sometimes the workouts are cardio. Sometimes they're stretching. Sometimes they're lifting. If a hitter is in a slump, they'll go to the cage after games. Hitting coaches are responsible to stay with the players who want, quote, extra work. Very standard. If players don't feel good about their swing or, or pitchers, you heard Justin Verlander talk about the work he did in between starts in the postseason when he didn't have a good outing and they want to work on stuff. So after the Bucks played the Sixers, Giannis wanted to get some free throw work in because he had not shot free throws well that particular game or the game before it. So he goes out. Back onto the court because at these arenas, not all of them have practice courts. Very few of them have practice courts. Teams practice in different facilities called practice facilities, but they have their court in the arena only when the arena is available, but it's always available post-game. Even if there's a hockey game the next day, they will give the basketball players a couple of hours to do post-game work before they convert the arena all night long to a back to a rink. So Giannis comes out, and he starts shooting free throws. And all of a sudden, one of the Sixers players, Montrez Harrell, takes the ball from Giannis and said, get off the court, we're doing our work here. Giannis was not happy about that. Giannis was angry. Giannis went to grab the ball back there was a, not a real kerfuffle, there was more of a conversation between Giannis's brother and Harold. but Giannis went back off court, got another ball, came back. And when he came back to shoot more free throws because he likes making 10 in a row is his superstition post game. He won't leave the court or leave a practice court. He'll never do that until he hits 10 in a row. So he's hit seven in a row, he got interrupted by Harold. goes to get a ball, comes back, and then there's a ladder under the basket And a ladder is used by the stadium operations people to take down the net and to collapse the basket. Because when you are converting your floor to something else, whether it's a rink or whether it's for the circus or a concert, you remove the panels of of the floor, but you also get rid of the baskets. And there's a place they're stored in the bowels of the stadium. And Giannis was so angry with stadium operations people for having the ladder so he couldn't shoot his free throws that he moved the ladder. And in moving the ladder, the ladder fell No one got hurt, he's not going to get sued, but it became a big thing. Giannis was asked about it after his next media availability, and he had some interesting words. He said, hey, I'm not trying to disrespect anyone because there were stadium workers trying to take it down, and there was an issue he had with Harrell. He said today was just unfortunate, just a weird set of circumstances. But then he got into a conversation which surprised me. He tried to explain to us, the public, why he was on the court. And he said, some players want to get extra work, work on their skills and stuff like that. I don't understand why I couldn't be on the same court as Harold, as the Sixers. The game was over. That was very unprofessional of him to do to me. So the question is, Is that normal? And in baseball, there's a visiting clubhouse, there's a visiting weight room, because that is now standard. But in the early days of stadiums, there was only one weight room. And do you know that our job as the home team, if the visiting player wanted to use the home weight room, there were times that we would say no, and it was for competitive reasons, and it was totally spiteful and players argued to their union, that has to stop. We have to be allowed to do our work when we're a visiting team. We can't be subject to the whims of a team president who is trying to gain a competitive edge by not allowing us to do our work. And so now you have to have a visiting weight room. So the visitors stay on their side, the home team stays on their side, and never the two shall meet when it comes to time on the actual field the visiting team can make requests to a home team but we can deny those requests we used to do that a pro player do you know what we would do (laughs) we would put the tarp on and we would say hey it may rain And the tarp meant that the visiting team would have to take BP inside in the batting cages and not be allowed to take infield. And we are not the only team that screws around like that. Any edge you can get over your opponent, you're going to take. If you want your field and you're the home team, you get it. No questions asked. Can you imagine the middle of home team batting practice? Out comes a visiting player. Hey, can I get my hacks in? People have said when Coke and I were preparing for the show, hey, you know, wasn't that sort of infantile? Which is our word of the day. And I laughed at that because it's not infantile what Harold did of the Sixers. It's competitive. I loved it. Hey, get off the court. Professional courtesy, horse hockey. I don't have professional courtesy. If I don't have to do something for my competitor, I'm not doing it. Anything that helps them on the field, you better make me. Now, of course, I look back on being that way and I laugh at myself. It's absurd, right? Giannis taking extra free throws thinking that that's going to help him beat the Sixers or not beat the Sixers, or a player taking extra BP on the field, or any team taking BP. like That's why the Marlins were going to win or lose a game. Now I could do a better job building the team and signing players, and then who cares what the visiting team does? If you're good enough, let the visiting team do whatever they want. I always tried to get in the head of of the visiting team, though. From what we'd do to the music we'd play, the Yankees did this and do this all the time. They'll play soft music when you're when the visiting team is doing BP. And when your team's doing BP, they play upbeat music to get the energy up. There are all sorts of little things that you can do with in-game entertainment. There are all sorts of things you can do in your ballpark that can make it less comfortable. You've heard the stories about Red Arback in the old Boston Garden he would not air condition the visiting clubhouse. That's real. Visiting clubhouses, Major League Baseball have minimum standards now because like the old visiting clubhouse in Wrigley, it's the size of a shoebox. They spent a billion dollars renovating and said, oh, let's make the visiting clubhouse a little bigger, a little, but there's still thin lockers and uncomfortable chairs. You don't have to put cushion chairs and you put folding chairs. And teams tell you, oh, it's because of money. We don't want to spend money on that. No, that is not why. The reason why we do all this stuff is we think, ooh, it's a little tiny incremental advantage. Did Kyrie play last night? I think he played last night. After all that, after all of my talk that he wouldn't come back, he actually ended up playing, didn't he? I think the Nets, he was supposed to come back after missing eight games. The Nets apparently felt that he had done his job. He had been ruled as not anti-Semitic by Commissioner Adam Silver, by owner Joe Tsai, by owner's wife, Claire Tsai, by Kevin Durant, by everybody. How, How does that work? I was just trying to remember when you are a certain way, and then you meet with a bunch of rabbis and you tell everybody that I love everybody equally. When Kyrie Irving was suspended, it was made clear by the Nets that he had to undergo a series of rehabilitative steps. Undetermined amount of time, minimum of five games, And we said at the time, I said, they had to announce that because that's how it works with the union. I didn't think he'd play again for the Nets because he was not willing to apologize and all he did was double down. And then I forgot my basic principle. When you suspend a guy and take away his money, basically your principles change. Now, you can say Kyrie's... The wrong person to say that is an example for it. look, he didn't want to get vaccinated, so he stuck to his guns and he missed half the pay of his contract last year. More principled about his vaccine situation than he was about his who he promotes and how he promotes them situation. Why didn't the net send him last year to scientists who could explain to him the benefit of a vaccine? Because he claims Kyrie does. He's got love for all people. But then he takes positions that lead to death of people. So I don't quite get it. It seems convenient to me. Not surprising. I'm trying to think if I've had a career, a player in my career, who is more distracting than Kyrie Irving. I've had some distracting players, no doubt. But no, Kyrie wins because it's like a a, a disease inside your clubhouse. Players can't stand talking about him anymore. He played 26 minutes last night, the Nets won the game, but it's far from relevant. What's relevant is how the front office reacted to Kyrie's apology once he was suspended. They took it as true He didn't need to meet with Adam Silver for Adam Silver to come out and say he's not anti-Semitic. Adam Silver, he could have come in wearing a Hitler mustache and Adam Silver would have said he's not anti-Semitic because Adam Silver doesn't want to have to deal with that. Far too complicated, far too upsetting, far too off-brand, far too much money at stake. We got this, Kyrie. Forget Leonard and all the other anti-Semitic people who may or may not be who get punished for life. When you are a top flight player, we got to get the narrative away from you being reflected badly for who you are, maybe, what you stand for, possibly. So Kyrie had the meetings he was supposed to have, and he came out and met the media, which was part of his rehabilitative steps. And he was given something to say, and this time he said it. I don't stand for anything close to hate speech or anti Semitism or anything that is anti going against the human race. Outstanding. I always like that. I can't be racist. I have a black friend. I can't be anti Semitic. I love all people. I've never met anyone who loves all people. Do people really do that? They say they do when they get in trouble. Oh, you got caught? Oh, I'm a sex addict. Welcome back, Kyrie. Not. All right, we went 3-0 and this weekend. Nothing personal pick of the day. We had the Warriors minus six over the Knicks Friday. That was a win. I told you the Knicks couldn't sweep that road trip. We had Clemson 19 over Miami. We could have given 29. My God. The hurricane stink. We told you that. And then you thought that having Gary Kubiak's son call plays in Denver would make a difference? How many times do I have to tell you that coaches don't make a bad team good ever? They can make a good team great, and they can make a great team good. But great teams don't become crappy with a bad coach. I promise you. Bad teams can become worse, though. Raiders plus two and a half over Broncos was the easiest pick of the weekend. We are 132 and 110, 22 games over. Back in black, ACDC. Well, are you watching the World Cup today? I am. USA is playing Wales. USA has a chance. That's about how you'd say it. They are a long shot to win the World Cup. I think they're like plus 10,000. I'm not calling them to win the World Cup. You know I picked France. But I am telling you, they're going to beat Wales today. USA over Wales on the money line is the pick for Monday. All right, that's our show. We'll be back. You know why? 'Cause tomorrow's a day that ends in why that's not a weekend. Episode seven oh one coming your way. Tomorrow it's just business. This is nothing personal.
0: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust.